welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with business and well-being thought leaders, experts and founders. We will be digging deep while sharing experience, insights and tips for busy Generation X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tamu Thomas, founder of The 360 Brand. I'm a life coach, speaker, writer, and podcaster too. I am passionate. In fact, I believe that it is my divine assignment to help Generation X women connect with their inner leader, the leader that resides in their emotions, buried by logic and the desire to be good. Logic and being good according to someone else's standards is okay for surviving, but round here, we are in the business of thriving. I use my background in social work, life coach training, and my superpower of loving kindness to help women connect to who they really are so they can expand into themselves fully, embrace their leadership qualities, and relinquish the chaos that exists within the duality of who we are and who we think we should be. My intention for this podcast is to plant seeds and create aha moments that bring you closer to your centre so that you can start to embrace your 360 degrees wholeheartedly. Welcome to another episode of 360 Conversations with me, your host, Tamu Thomas, founder of The 360 Brand. How are you doing? How are you doing? I invite you to take a moment, put your hand on your heart and just take a couple of breaths. And just ask yourself how you're doing. Check in with yourself. This pandemic, it's really taking us all on a wild ride, consciously, unconsciously, all sorts. Which is why I am, you know, feeling really honoured to share this podcast episode with you. I had a conversation with my teacher, Nathan Blair, who is a coach and the founder of The Somatic School. Um, And he joined me for a really nourishing conversation about what the somatic approach is about, really. Um, In this conversation, we talk about, um, or Nathan, in fact, shares some wisdom on many things, including what it is like to be present with yourself, talking about um, the massive and innate wisdom that comes from listening to and being present with our felt sense. Nathan also shares some wisdom on the pursuit of happiness and how it can lead to a state addiction. So how the pursuit of happiness can lead to us being addicted to the state of happiness and what that means for us. Some wisdom on our society and our concept of masculinity and masculinity in terms of somatic work really being um, open to exploring and being present with your feelings and emotions which is something I think men have traditionally been discouraged from and um, the concept of toxic masculinity um, is able to breed in a culture where men are discouraged from feeling. Um, And he also refers to a number of um, helpful resources, books, There are links for these resources in the show notes, which can be found on my website. For me, this was a really nourishing um, conversation. And I just want to read you a little clip from the bio Nathan sent me in readiness for our conversation, just so that you can um, get a sense of the conversation you're about to listen to. It says, Nathan has worked extensively with clients to tap into their vast emotional and embodied intelligence. Working with the subtle messages of the body, Nathan helps clients clarify their wants and needs, tune into their inner knowing and make better decisions. I mean, okay, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I do. Take care.
I'm absolutely delighted to have Nathan Blair with me. And let me tell you something about Nathan Blair. Nathan Blair is, um, he's my teacher, actually. Uh, Nathan Blair is the founder of the Somatic School. And um, all the somatic stuff that I keep talking about, Nathan is teaching me all of this wonderful, nourishing stuff. Um, and I thought it would be absolutely wonderful for him to join us in conversation. So, Nathan, hey, welcome. How are you doing? Hi, Tamara. It's an honour to be here. I'm really pleased that you uh, invited me onto the, onto the podcast. It's I'm, I'm even more pleased that you accepted. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nathan, rather than me um, take everybody round all the trees, hills and bushes gushing <laughs> about who you are and what you do, please could you share with my lovely lis listeners who you are, what you do and why you do it? Mm, okay, great. So, um, my name is Nathan, Nathan Blair. I am the, so what I, what I, who I am, I guess I'll say a little bit more about who I am. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm a, I'm a partner to a, to a wonderful woman. I'm a, um, somebody who is, I'm a cheesecake enthusiast. You know? <laughs> um, and I'm also absolutely obsessed and passionate about something called somatics, which is, um, which is to do with, uh, the human being as an integrated system, the mind body, uh, connection or the body mind as we like to talk it say it and um and i'm the founder of a of a company called the somatic school and somatic school uh helps uh train helping professionals to learn um somatic and embodiment skills so they can work with uh, the body's intelligence in a coaching context or a kind of therapeutic context um whatever it is that their field of practice might be and why do i do that well um so I often say, you know, we're kind of coaching with the body and mind. And the reason I say that is because so often when we're working with um, clients um, as coaches or counselors or therapists, this is changing massively at the moment, but used to be the case that we would kind of just, we'd, we'd kind of coach um, the story a lot. And um, what I mean by that is somatic work really works with working with the storyteller. So it's about working with the whole client, not just their thoughts, their kind of uh, their cognition, their mental meaning making, but the whole person, their emotions, the sensations, movement, posture, etc. Because we are we are all of those things with the sum of our parts. So that's that's really why. I did. I and mean, there's more to that, I guess, personally, why why I got into it. But um, that's what I'm really interested in. Interested in bringing that sort of dimension into into what we do with our clients. Oh man, and I just absolutely love that for so many reasons. Um, but before I go into the reasons, I think it would be um, a good place to ask, what is somatic coaching? Oh, before that, and hmm. to mention that the um, somatic school, is it on the only accredited somatic coaching course at the moment? It's a great question. I mean, it's not the only accredited somatic coaching course, but it's certainly the, as far as I'm aware, it's the UK's first uh, ICF accredited um, school in, in, in working kind of body oriented coaching approaches. So, um, so there's a, there's a, there's a huge kind of field of uh, body psychotherapies and people working in somatic ways across, certainly in the therapies, they've always sort of remained on the fringe um, but, uh, in the coaching space only in the last, I'd say it's, it's been around for a long time now, but I'd say there's a real emergence here in the last sort of three years. And, um, and as far as I'm aware in the UK, when we set up the somatic school, it was the UK's first, um, to, to sort of have a, a school dedicated to training professionals in, in bringing somatic work into their, into their coaching. Yeah. So I'm going to run with that is the UK's <laughs> first uh, accredited somatic coaching course and that is fully my West African background and love of qualifications <laughs> showing up live and direct there um, and that's not the reason that um, I decided to work with you and join this course um, a lot of the women that I work with and the people I come across a lot of them have this thing about what they know um, so there's a lot of conversation about, but I know this, I know this stuff, 
or people that are reluctant to invest in something that sounds familiar. Um, and it's very interesting to me, and I know it's the human way. What is very interesting to me is that people know these things, but they're not applying them. And when I saw the advert for your course, I was at a point in time where I was looking at um, various coaching um, courses um, because I love learning. Like it, it really, um, as you're aware, Nathan, um, I have set the intention for my life to feel like romance. Like I'm literally saying all the time, if it doesn't feel romantic, I don't want it. Learning for me feels romantic, like literally toe curling. If it's something that I'm really interested in, it really fills me up. And when I saw the um, advert for the Somatic Coaching School, the Somatic School, and I read the text in the advert, some of it I, I knew in a roundabout way because these were things that I, was, I do in my coaching practice. Some of them I even did in my social work um, as, a, as a social worker, but I didn't know why I was doing them. I just felt drawn to doing it. And when I read your text, it's not that my mind recognize, recognized it, my body recognized it. Mm. And um, in the sessions we have, <clears throat> I have set, you know, myself, not a challenge, but I've just decided that I am going to allow myself to be a beginner, to be a learner, to have like a childlike curiosity. And it's really amazing to hear things or piece things together and actually be like, I knew this, mm. but now I understand this. It's a really profound difference and it has really it's gone past the do like I'm like oh doing so lame doing so like 2019 this is changing the way I be um, and it really does shift from the inside out so before I go on anymore could you share uh, what is somatic coaching what is it to work with a soma in a coaching or in a in within the helping professions mm, okay yeah so that was beautiful as well to hear Tammy speaking about that. And I know that in our, in our early conversations, it was, um, it's, it was so inspiring to hear your kind of hunger for this, this work. And I kind of, I think for a lot of people, it often feels like a homecoming coming back mm -hmm. to the body and working with the body. So in the, in the helping professions, um, working with the SOMA means really, um, attuning ourselves to to our clients in such a way and what i mean by attuning is kind of upping our attention so it's like as one of the graduates actually said sam he talked about it as like turning up the resolution so we're we're, we're noticing subtler more nuanced details in the in the person in the person's experience whom we're whom we're sat opposite or who we're witnessing in our work and um and it, we're taking in more. So that's one way to describe it, I suppose, is if you, if you think about, uh, if I'm talking here about coaching because my background is in coaching. And I suppose um, the, the training that we do is accredited by the ICF, the International Coach Federation. So when I talk about coaching, I'm, I'm, talking, I, I'm talking here about having that be a foundation. And then we kind of apply those same rules, uh, principles to kind of facilitators, um, counsellors, therapists and that sort of thing. But let's say for coaches, oftentimes what people learn is these levels of listening. And so the first level is where we're, we're listening, but we're self-referencing as we're hearing what the person's talking about. So we're thinking about how it relates to us. Somebody tells them about holiday in Spain and we think about the holiday we went on in, in Spain. Um, the second level of listening is where we're, we're listening, um, but we're beginning to be curious. We're kind of listening with an open curiosity. So somebody tells us about that holiday in Spain and we, we inquire about that. We say, how was that for you? you know, where did you go? And that's a, the second level of listening. And third is that active listening, which is more of a kind of, more of a holistic listening. Typically in coaching, we're listening to, for um, patterns in, in kind of what they told us. So we're kind of pointing out, oh, this sounds like a bit of a pattern here or a belief system maybe or um, we get a sense of um, some limiting belief that that person might have, or we, we find opportunities to reframe what they're sharing. Um, I think it, where, where it kind of, where, where somatic kind of picks up from there is taking that holistic listening to, a, to another level where we're really listening to not just the words, we're listening, we, we're listening to all of the voices that our body has to offer. So when I say the voices, I mean nonverbal communication as well as verbal. 
So just the way that somebody moves their hand in front of their face as they're talking about something or the, or the expression on their face or the shortness of breath or a long exhale, that's sort of my signal, some release of something, you know, but all of these are, are communications that we can begin to listen to. It's like, I often like to think about it as the second conversation. You know, it's like the, it's the conversation that our clients are having verbally. And then there's actually another conversation that's sort of running the leaf that, which is, which is often in my work kind of the more interesting of the two because, because um, the body reveals, you know, the body really reveals. And, and that's how we can really get to the heart of the matter. We can even get to a deeper truths um, often below the level of conscious awareness. With, with mm -hmm. So that's, that's what it would look like, you know, it's to, to take in more, to work with more and to kind of respond uh, in resonance with that communication so that we begin to open a dialogue between us my soma my my um my uh, somatic experience my body my bodily felt sense of things and yours you know mm -hmm. so it becomes an embodied relational experience um and maybe maybe i can speak a little about what soma and somatic means um, yes please yeah that that i feel for some listeners who might not be familiar with the term it's probably useful so soma is an ancient greek word which means the the, the kind of the living being in its wholeness, the sort of it's inspirited being. So it'd be the opposite of kind of the Greek word for necro. So the, which would be the uh, kind of the being without spirit, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lifeless. Whereas we are, we're not just a body. We are this kind of living being in our wholeness. And that's really what the Soma speaks to. It speaks to this, this holism that we are as, as human beings. That, that's really beautiful that there's two things. Firstly, the concept of being a living, spirited being. I think that's really important. That's really important for us to be aware of. Like I, I um, have said on a number of occasions, um, live is a, a verb because we often live like we're not living, like we're not alive. There's no aliveness mm. in our expression of living. And there are um, people that um, come to me because they say they're feeling stuck. And I'm like, it's, it's impossible to be stuck. You're A, either not connecting with your living experience or you're doing Groundhog Day, you're repeating the same, that there are many others, but the ones that I see are you're not connected with your aliveness or, you're um, doing Groundhog Day. And then when we peel back the layer further, so this is the second of the two things, because my belief is that we are conditioned to neutralize our feelings and our felt sense so that we can be productive, so that our human, our natural human feelings, urges, senses are dulled down so that we can be um, productive. People that have listened before will know that I've got a bit of a thing with mindset work. <laughs> and, I, and I emphasize the set deliberately. We do mindset work to put us in the frame of mind so that we can do what we need to do. Mm. Um, and I often ask people what it would be like to actually explore the feeling that you're avoiding with the numbing. Um, <clears throat> And I want to give an example. We did an exercise um, at our, I think it was in our last module mm. where you um, did an experiment and you said the phrase, you are a good person. And we had to um, predict what our response would be. So my immediate response was like looking behind me, like who me? And I had a bit of a knot in my stomach. And when you invited us, to uh, be present with that and really feel into the felt sense of what we're, you know, what we were feeling, our, our sensations, and you repeated, I am a good person. I softened into it and the resistance I thought I was feeling initially wasn't resistance at all. I'm a very visual person and, and I refer to nature all the time because when I was at what I thought was my most stuck, staring into my garden and looking at nature doing its thing really gave me a lot of guidance. 
And so when we did that exercise and I really tuned in to that felt sense, it felt because it was um, a friction feeling, I immediately wanted to step away from it. But when I was present with it and kept it company, it was actually the friction, the, what do they call it? Um, Oh, I can't remember, but let's just say friction because I can't remember that comes from growth. So growth, like you've got to, if you think about um, time-lapse time lapse plant videos, the seed, like it really needs to push out of the husk. So that causes some friction, but it doesn't mean that what you're doing is bad um, or is something that you should avoid. And as I was present with that feeling, I realized actually it was that kind of push that comes with growth. It wasn't something to fear. And then I was able to really feel into you saying you are a good person. And it was like there was a, it was a rose. It was a rose that was blooming within me. And I just thought, my goodness, how many times have I stepped away from something that could have grown into something? How many times have I stepped into something that could have grown into something really nourishing, strong, etc.? because I was worried about the feeling because I'm not used to feeling my feelings? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really, so what I'm hearing, and so uh, what you were talking about was a, a, an, an experiment when you said the experiment, we were doing something from a, from a school of practice, body, body psychotherapy called um, Hakomi. It's a beautiful, beautiful school of practice. Mm. And, um, and, uh, and so, so many things kind of came up as you were saying that. First of all, Ron Kurtz is the founder of Hakomi. Hakomi is an integrative kind of somatic therapy. And we, we're taking from the, some of the great skills from that and bringing that into this, this work so that kind of coaches, counselors, facilitators like yourself can bring that into their work. And, and um, he, Ron Kurtz and another uh, Greg Johansson, I think is the name of the guy is, they wrote a beautiful book called Grace Unfolding. And uh, for yourself or your listeners, I really recommend it. It's absolutely stunning, especially if you're a therapist or a coach. It's, um, it looks at um, sort of therapy, psychotherapy through, from the lens of the Tao Te Ching, which is the Taoist text. And in that, um, there's a quote from Ron Kurtz or Gregory, it's difficult to say. And it says, experience is closer to our core than analysis. So mm. concrete, passionate, immediate, felt experience. is closer to our core than analysis. And that's ultimately when we're doing the experiment like that, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to, we're trying to make contact with direct primary subjective experience that gives us information about our way of being in the world. And that's what you were talking about. And, um, and, and, there's another thing you were speaking to, which I think is so interesting because you were talking about the kind of coming in contact, that friction of resistance and how that's an opportunity for growth. It made me think about, you know, that the, uh, the butterfly, when it's in the chrysalis, you know about this, you know, it has to, um, there's, it's necessary for there to be some, some uh, effort to kind of bring itself out of the, the chrysalis, the cocoon, to, uh, to, uh, for its wings to actually be strong enough then to actually open um, following that and um, I think there's something about turning toward that I think is so beautiful in this work which is like there's resistance there and in many schools of practice you kind of you look at the various ways to work with resistance and how to kind of address or counter counter resistance but in this work we're looking we're turning towards that and saying saying hello and acknowledging that resistance and and seeing what what it has to say you know what's the communication there befriending it you know basically kind of keeping it company until it feels ready to sort of almost share whatever it is that it you know what's what's the message what's the communication it has for us mm -hmm. for us then to move through and i think that's sort of countercultural. um and uh and so hearing you talk about that is uh sort of brought that to mind that idea that much of somatic work is about really um really learning to to develop a, and cultivate a new relationship a new level of intimacy with our experience whatever that may be value neutral you know mm -hmm. um, yeah and <clears throat> i didn't realize previously but doing this work with you the beautiful sharing and sharing of wisdom and really just uh, the way we meet each other where we are in um in our group in this year's uh, intake of the um, somatic school 
has really, we talk about awakening, but has really awakened me to like what's within me. And I've, I've talked about it with you guys in the school and I've talked about it. If any of you guys are connected with me on Instagram, you'll note that I'm talking about grief quite a lot. We are in the midst of a global pandemic. There is like real grief, grief. Um, there's death, there's grief for what was um, and all sorts of things. And I think that the, the stillness, even though I'm still working, it hasn't impacted the way I work because a lot of the work I do is from home, online, etc. But what it's really awakened within me is we, we talk about this concept of abandoning yourself. And I've known for a long time, known in my mind, for a long time that a lot of the ways I've held myself back or I haven't been able to experience whatever there was for me to experience fully is this thing about being strong and stoic and holding things together. And the somatic experiencing mode, modality, has really helped me to become intimate with what I've ignored in a really powerful way so I talked about welcoming the grief it's, it hasn't been like oh my gosh I'm so sad I haven't been able to experience this thing or it's like wow um, there were external factors there are systemic factors but there's been a whole load of things that you haven't been able to access because there's been a level of fear due to the way you've learned to cope and this somatic work is like but babes, we're not coping anymore. Like we are, we are thriving with, with what we've got in this moment here and now. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that all this stuff has just been inside me. Like almost it's like, okay, you, you carry on with your how to and your whatever it is, rapid, whatever program will we'll be here when you're ready. So it's been like a real beautiful invitation to become my friend. Mm, that's gorgeous. Yeah. A beautiful invitation to become your friend. Yeah. You know, people are often told kind of like, you know, be yourself, be your authentic self and, and things like that. And, um, and be true to yourself and, and speak your truth. Um, but so many of us um, are sort of, under-resourced and, and unskilled um, or let's say under-practiced at being with ourselves let alone being ourselves so so this concept of sort of being with becoming friends with yourself and your experience is so powerful because um, the relationship we have with ourself and our felt sense and our sort of somatic awareness you know our experiences as they arise you know you're having a you're having conversation an argument let's say with a partner and you get this tight knot in your stomach and it's how you relate to that knot there in your stomach that determines how you then express you know yourself and how you respond to others so the relationship with ourselves we have with ourselves is sort of is sort of fundamental and um and beyond and that's that sort of you know as we develop more compassion with ourselves and with our own experience, we can have more compassion for others and their experience. And that's, so then it has real ramifications for us as a collective, you know, as a community, because um, this work here is not just simply navel gazing. It's about developing new ways of, um, of being that kind of healthy, nurturing, loving presence for ourselves. And as a result, being able to do the same for others. Mm. Yeah, but, um, my my bandwidth is definitely growing um, for for others, um, and for myself. Firstly, definitely that's what that's what I'm feeling. This week it's um, Mental Health Awareness Week, and um, the, the the theme is kindness. And um, uh, a friend of mine was saying that she had talked about being kind. Uh, somebody had talked about it being about kindness, and she had reflected about the need to be kind to yourself and then you're able to do that with others and this woman was like oh no 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 and um, that's really selfish that's not what kindness is about and she said it was really interesting to observe because a year ago that was her and the conversations we've been having that she, she's in my membership group the work that we've been doing in my membership group the work that she's then had the capacity to do has really 
um, illuminated for her that actually she can only give what she's got. And if she's barren, then she's not really able to give a lot. But I want to come back to that thing about mm. being um, under-resourced. I was listening to a podcast. It was Brené Brown. I can't remember. It was Dr. Mark something or the other she was having a conversation with. And his specialism is um, feelings. Mm. And um, he was, and we've talked about it in the somatic school. Uh, he was talking about um, part of our difficulty in being able to express our feelings is because we don't have the language. We don't learn. We don't, we don't l learn the language that is necessary to articulate what our feelings are. Mm. And um, it, I, I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't have an issue with the concept or the word happiness. No, I don't have an issue with the word happy or happiness. I have an issue with our modern concept of happiness, which I believe to be a very Hollywood saccharine, sickly sweet. Oh, I'm just so happy. I'm going to lose my mind. Um, kind of happiness. And people talk about they want to be happy and embodiment. So people talk about wanting to be happy. And I see in their body language that this word happy is very cumbersome and laborious. It is almost like it is almost oppressive. Hmm. So I asked them, what does it mean to be happy? And then they will sit for a minute and be like, ah. Oh, damn it like really I have to go there I don't know what to say and then sit with them for a moment and they'll say um it means freedom it means peaceful it means and I'm like well actually maybe if we focus on those words you'll be able to achieve what you think this happiness is because happiness is like saying I don't know I, I, I want a big plant in my house. Oh, I've got enough, I've got, I've, I've got uh, enough room for a big tree in my house. And then someone delivering a palm tree and like, oh no, 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 that, that's too big. That, that like, you know, specificity sometimes is necessary. Could you speak to the power of actually understanding what on earth it is we're talking about um, when we're talking about how we want to feel. Mm. Um, it's interesting because I make a distinction between feeling, which I often talk about kind of um, emotion, as you mm -hmm. sort of describe it, you know, being able to expand your vocabulary. As they say in emotional intelligence, you know, this, this the, the kind of emotional intelligence work, look at expanding your, your, your range of vocabulary you have available for your emotions and sort of expands your range of, and your capacity to experience these emotions and to express them. And, um, and uh, I made this distinction between kind of feeling and, and sort of sensing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so your question was around um, like sort of, what is it when we talk about feeling yeah and i guess i guess the for me it's like if you if you begin to when you begin to sense yourself if you begin to actually be, to kind of begin to cultivate that ability to drop drop in drop down as they say you know um and feel what's occurring for you in this moment right here in my body as as i experience this um you start to realize there's sort of like 50 shades of happiness you know it's like there's to say to say that we're going to be happy or that that's the ultimate goal you know it could often lead to something some kind of like toxic outcomes like you know i think this is where we're moving out of this kind of um and and i i have no um i have no kind of uh um sort of uh no qualms here, but the sort of new age um, positive thinking and kind of um, pursuit of happiness, I think is, is shifting now to something that's more of a kind of pursuit of what's real, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, and, and that's like the good, the bad and the ugly sort of thing. You know? and, 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 and it can lead, you know, pursuit of happiness can lead to a kind of state addiction as well. We can have experiences where we're kind of chasing these highs and uh, and is that living you know is that living a full life I, I think actually like grief can be an incredibly powerful um 
you know, we can learn a lot about ourselves. We can kind of touch some deep wells within ourselves that kind of give us depth and gravity. Um, in with anger, it can be an incredibly motivating force. You know, um, um, joy can bring us together with people. Um, you know, em emotions. We're humans. We have all of these this range of emotions, full range of emotions, because that's the design you know and, and to think that we sh that there's one sort of channel um for us um i think is sort of limiting our human experience so I, i'm very and i guess this is sort of i i think this is sort of tied with a kind of somatic perspective but i'm very i'm very kind of pro-human you know and and the full you know the full gambit that 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 kind of involves and um and then, and, and then one more piece around uh, kind of around feelings and emotions. I guess the, the other way that we, that I explore it and the way that I think about it from a somatic perspective, again, is if somebody was to tell you, like, say, for example, a client was to tell me I'm anxious. Well, um, kind of like, you know, in, in the sort of, in the, in the sort of body oriented or somatic work, what we often do is we spoke about this earlier about taking people to experience that being closer to the core than the analysis. And, there's this idea of like, rather than looking for explanations, why take our clients to their experience, you know, that's all we have to do, you know, a lot of the time. So it's, so a question like, why do you think you're anxious, anxious, for example, produces sort of analysis filled with effort. You know, it's like, we're searching for these, you know, what is it? What? let's try and figure it out. That kind of, and, and it sort of takes us to a kind of very cerebral space. Whereas mm -hmm. questions that sort of take us back, to our experience as a source of knowledge um, might be things like what is the quality of that anxiety like the felt quality where do you you know where do you experience that anxiety in your body what movement does the anxiety evoke in you or what if you invite the anxiety to let you know what it needs to feel less anxious for example it's a totally different relationship with our emotions with our feelings and it brings us <clears throat> to the, like you said to the here and now to this present moment um, and oftentimes we move through that, you know, it takes us to a place where we, we can become responsive rather than reactive. Um, because if we're able to tune in, what is this anxiety telling me? We can then respond from a place of, of presence mm -hmm. as opposed to react, um, from a, from a more kind of, um, from a, from a place where, where we're, we're sort of merged with that experience rather than rather than, as you said, sort of befriending it and learning from it. Mm. Yeah. And, and I've, I've, I've witnessed <clears throat> in my coaching that really work beautifully or really support people beautifully, very high functioning, clever people that are used to thinking their way in and out of things or, you know, clevering their way out or using loads of really beautiful words, but not really saying anything actually taking them to the um, experience and the felt sense has helped people go from it's just because I'm tired I'm overwhelmed at the moment to actually I felt really ignored because my mum was really ill throughout my childhood and I didn't get a look in mm. it, it really and they're like oh my goodness um, I thought that that was over I didn't think that was an issue anymore um, I've discussed this in therapy I thought that was dealt with um, so that's really powerful but 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 I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole I would like to explore this with you feelings emotions masculinity <laughs> because let's, let's because this. because yeah because um in our in our I have seen a significant shift, I don't know how long, but over a short period of time, I have seen a significant shift in relation to the conversations we are having about and with men um, about feeling and emotion. Prior to recent times, I don't think, I'm not aware of having conversations that were <clears throat> inviting men to even consider that they have feelings too. Emotions and all of that was to do with women, hysteria, emotional, etc. And this is a pioneering field. Uh, you, you are a pioneer. I don't know what I want to ask you, but I want to ask you something about somatic coaching and the gradual move away from what we now know as toxic masculinity. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, big topic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's funny hearing you say as well you're a pioneer because I never, I never really think of myself as as that. When when I first sort of work, started working in this as a guy, you know, it it was it was largely because. Um, it was just something I was really hugely interested in. As a child, I was always described. I was always hugely sensitive, and often described by my my by my um, pe- my dad in particular, sort of oversensitive. And that's that's cl- that's kind of very reflective, isn't it? In itself, you know, I've got you know, man of of dad's my dad's generation and my father's generation, and then myself, and that kind of that that narrative, that kind of idea of what that means to be a sensitive man, and. Um, I was just always interested in somatic work and the idea of working with the body and, and um, um, really wanted to learn um, how to bring this work into a kind of coaching context, which, which just did to me didn't feel readily available um, when we, we set up the somatic school. But, but, um, but uh, what I've noticed or what I've, you know, this is, this is factual, you know, this is the stats observation wise. Um, we've had, uh, we have two men in our community, you know, and, uh, and you know, that's, that's, that's not just, uh, that's not just a kind of a, you know, sweeping generalization. I'm just talking about statistics here. It's fascinating to me to see, you know, what is it that has, um, has men not kind of take this up totally. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, when it comes to toxic masculinity, I'm, I'm really, I'm really as a, as a person, just as an individual and, you know, for right or wrong, I'm, I'm kind of quite averse to labels like toxic masculinity and things. Cause I think when you, when we kind of type and group um, things like this, it becomes, uh, we lose the nuance mm-hmm. um, in it. And, um, but I would say that um, I would say that we, as a, you know, as a culture, um, yeah, it's it's a funny time for men, you know, mm-hmm. to learn to you know what what is what does it mean to be a man? Um and I often think a lot about um I often think about like these masculine when you talk about toxic masculinity, you talk about these kind of masculine and feminine, the masculine and feminine, think about these qualities. I like to talk about these in terms of like the way that the the Taoist would talk about them, the kind of yin and yang and mm-hmm. how how they're kind of both um within each of us. So I guess my take on this at the moment, and I think this has been emerging, is this kind of, you know, there's been a lot of work, particularly for women, you know, there's a lot of women's groups and there's a lot of retreats and things exploring the sacred feminine. It's a big thing. Mm-hmm. It has been in, in, the, in the kind of recent years. And, and um, what, I, what I think is interesting is that um, there is a shift occurring, I believe, and uh, and it's very systemic. Uh, Jennifer, who's one of your one of your group mates, mm-hmm. said something really beautiful when we first had our you know in our, in our very first conversation that I that I rem- I'll never forget because I think it sort of summed it up better than I could say it, which was sort of this idea of um, this in our culture privileging the intellect and denigrating the body is not sort of separate from privileging the masculine and denigrating the feminine, which is not really separate or diff- much different from what we've done what we're doing to the planet you know or what we have done um, i guess we continue to do but that that we are i think we are beginning as a culture as a as a kind of global community to open our eyes and wake up a little bit to to this you know we the this this heavy um uh what's the word kind of the the exaltation the exalt exalting of the of the of these masculine uh, kind of the rational mind, for example, the rational kind of thinking mind and, uh, and intellect. And, and then this sort of like, um, as, as Jennifer said, the denigration or the kind of like the, the downplaying or the dismissal of, of the body and the kind of the body's intelligence, a deeper kind of feeling selves that that's a shift. I think that's occurring now where we're kind of saying, actually, you know, for example, we see it in the sciences, interpersonal neurobiology or in body cognition and just revealing just how central to our intelligence our bodies are. Mm-hmm. So, so we are starting to kind of go, okay, so actually um, our ability <clears throat> to have like interceptive skills, uh, in other words, recognize, identify and kind of express what's happening inside us, you know, our internal experience, um, it, it's really powerful for our well-being and for our relationships. Um, so, so 
I guess my hope, I think that's probably what I'd say my hope is that more and more men will start to, to develop these kind of what more may, may be considered more conventionally feminine skills. So like mm-hmm. sensitivity, intuition, um, uh, empathy, um, kind of like high, kind of highly attuned to uh, each other and the environment um, and, and, and nature. As, mm-hmm. a, as a result you know i think men are beginning to so i i hope anyway that men are sort of beginning to sort of look at these skills and want to cultivate these then when it kind of circles back to toxic toxic masculinity what does it mean to be a man now i think it's all about balance so we live in a culture and a society that's sort of built around very masculine structures mm-hmm. um and so as we sort of bring this balance in to each and every one of us men and women what does that begin to look like men developing these skills of attunement and sensitivity and and attention and uh and you know vice versa and so what what does that begin to look like what does our communities look like as we begin to have these kind of these this unity these kind of balance of masculine and feminine qualities in both men and women um yeah that would be my my kind of perspective on that mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> i find it really really um fascinating and and there was so much in all of that and what I wonder is how how what has it been like being a a child that was deemed to be too sensitive yeah and then and, and growing up within a culture not just a family system but a culture that definitely um success is very much rooted in patriarchal standards Mm. um i was reading the source by dr tara swart and she was talking about um the cleverer humans became the more um the 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 more verbal humans human human beings became the further we moved away from our feelings and our intuition and um i talk about the industrial revolution a lot because i think it just caused as much as it created lots of change and advances in all sorts of things technology and whatnot i think it also really had a detrimental impact on human beings as a whole from um the transatlantic slave trade to the environment like everything that is to do with being a human because the world is an ecosystem we come from you know that we come from the earth we are part of the earth uh, ecosystem so what i wonder is what what has it been like for you being a child that was you know people had talked about the level of your sensitivity and I relate because mm-hmm. I was called a crybaby a number of mm. times and then growing up in a culture that was very much about not just manhood but success was about yeah rah like I remember this whole concept and I think it might even have been a film something like um for women um think like a man act like a lady or, or something of that nature and, and then now to be in this work where so Nathan I find you to be very nurturing and nourishing. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm just thinking, okay, I can see little Nathan here emerged in in man form. What was that journey like, if there was a journey at all? Um, So uh, you know where I go immediately? is uh this so so well when i was young when i was a teenager i was actually i was diagnosed with adhd and so from uh, and that was because i was really struggling to to do the my kind of school work and things like that and and uh, and um i have some opinions on the uh education system i, I really love the work of um uh oh god i've forgotten his name now he wrote a, a book about um, from your passion, Ken Robinson, I think, Robertson or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but uh, the uh, the 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 growing up with kind of trying, feeling like I was in on, in competition with myself was really challenging. I found myself feeling very distressed, and so um, my parents kind of did what they thought was right. You know, kind of let's see, get a medical opinion on this. And I was diagnosed with ADHD. It was many years. It was actually until my early twenties that I actually stopped taking Ritalin medication, which is 
um, which has quite a powerful effect, like thinking about somatics and being sensitive, like these are sort of amphetamine based medications. So, um, so I, I, I had this interesting relationship with myself for a long time where I thought that uh, certain ways that I were was weren't okay. Mm-hmm. And a phrase came to me as you were saying this, which is something that I used to kind of, it's almost like a, a kind of phrase that, that just sort of resonate with me. I think it came to me, which is like, you're all right, but not you're all right as in A L R I G H T, but you're all right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think in this work, certainly um, my journey has been about taking all these different parts of myself and like you spoke about befriending and developing a relationship with each and every way of being and all each just attending to myself as an intelligent organism you know which we all are and, you know even even with um even with sort of certain condition tendencies or adaptations they're all, they're all intelligent so they may cause us they may not be serving us in adulthood um, but but if we can kind of treat them with the respect and kind of acknowledge them for for, for being uh, at some point in our lives right you know absolutely right you know it's maybe even essential for our survival almost you know mm-hmm. um, that's a different way of relating with ourselves so um, my journey I think has been about um, has been about kind of uh, sort of becoming more whole instead of so you know you you get you get a diagnosis like something like adhd and there's a fragment there's a kind of a fragmented self that emerges this kind of being this like my essential self who i think i am who i'd like to be and then this thing you know this like this label that 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 causes me me trouble you know um so it's been about really embracing all parts of myself and these days i i don't even you know again i i really like the work by gabble Marte around this particular um topic wrote a book called scattered minds and um but this idea that uh, i have some feelings about the concept of adhd in general and how and where it's you know the way it's treated and um i read an amazing book called the mindfulness prescription for adhd and that really got me on i suppose that was the beginning of my journey into some because it was about getting in touch with the senses mm-hmm. and so um being sensitive became in a sense and i never really thought about this but being sensitive became the path you know, um, being sensitive, it became my path to a sort of deeper healing, which was to become aware of, you know, that I remember distinctly being on a surf trip with some friends. And after reading the mindfulness prescription for ADHD, finding myself in my head in this conco- um, cacophony of sound and, and thoughts and things out in the ocean on a surfboard and thinking, God, you know, where am I? And then from practicing what I'd read in that book, which was just to put my hand in the ocean and just feel the, sen- the, the sensation of the water against my skin, to become aware of the sound of the birds, you know, to, to look out with my extraceptive senses and like what we might describe in somatic work as orient, but I would look out and around and looking at the, the ocean and just the vast expanse of that. In, immediately found myself present, immediately found my, my nervous system sort of began to regulate, you know, we as a we as a as a you know as a culture could and children in particular could really benefit from learning these skills from a young age of how to self-regulate mm. and somatic work is so much to do with that it's about our capacity to to self-regulate to to but also to self-parent you know and, that, and that's powerful you know really powerful because as adults we are now in the position where our parents do not no longer play that role for us not in the, at least not in the same way as they did mm-hmm. with children so um so i guess um my journey has interestingly has been about taking sensation and the sensory uh, my sensory awareness and having that be my connection to the here and now my route to kind of a more regulated nervous system my my way into kind of embodying um, desired ways of being and and taking resonant action and you know and and being um, more connected to myself my others and, and the environment so so in many ways um, the same thing that kind of was my where I was oversensitive is actually my my medicine in many ways you know yeah I never really thought about it like that so thanks for asking glad to be of service <laughs> um, <clears throat> before we wrap up um, I just want to that that really resonates with me because um you know shadow work and what was hiding in my shadows and 
was this whole concept of um, I'm too kind, I'm too um, empathetic and um, I'm too playful. And those things have actually been the most beautiful strengths and qualities I have in a, as an adult. Mm. And um, I had a women's circle um, and uh, there was a lot of resonance where people talked about growing up feeling weird, mm. like just feeling like they were so weird, like, and there was a woman that talks about even questioned whether questioning whether or not she was a human being because she seemed to function so differently from what she was being told the human experience is and i just thought we're not weird the system's weird it's not us um <laughs> and it's not about like a, an us and them but if we think about the system that we operate in it doesn't really support being alive hmm. Nathan, is there anything else you feel called to say about anything we've talked about before? Um, as always, there's so much more like on my, my, my cherry pick list of things to discuss, but um, it's a podcast, not um, a, a, a training day. So I have to uh, <laughs> wind myself in. But is there anything that you just feel like, mm, I, I, I really want to talk about this or say this or mention? First of all, I just want to say I'm really grateful for, for your invitation to come on and chat with you. And it's really lovely to talk about, you know, to talk about this broadly speaking and how it all ties in with some of my own life's experiences. And that's been a real gift to me to, to kind of join some dots there. So thank you. Uh, one thing I, 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 I did want to share with you was, um, was, if you're open to it, is a poem mm -hmm. that, um, that I, that written by someone called Kabir. Um, I don't know this person's work very well, but this one poem was really, really kind of stood out to me. And it feel like it ties in with what, some of what we've spoken about, about attending to our felt sense, mm -hmm. this sort of somatic awareness of, of things. Um, but also this emergence of this, this kind of idea of, um, of um, the connection between our somatic awareness and the feminine. You know, in this idea. So, um, even in, in Taoism, they call the Tao is called the subtle and profound female. And um, and this poem, I think, speaks to something that I feel that kind of brings those two worlds together. Which is, so, so shall I? Yes, please. Okay. So it says. So it goes something like, hiding in this cage of visible matter, is the invisible life bird. Pay attention to her. She is singing your song. man listen whether you want to somatic coach or not just sign up to the somatic school and you're going to get all of this nourishment sometimes i feel like tanu who, who, who like is this for you or is this to share and i'm like it's both it's 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 symbiotic that was so delightful no it wasn't delightful it really tapped into something um that, that the, the big feeling that we're often very scared of could be that singing bird mm. oh, thank you nathan so for anybody that is uh, interested in your work and what you do because you do offer coaching to people right yeah and supervision as well and supervision yeah. um so if anybody would like to uh find you uh online no stalking uh <laughs> where, where can you be found so there's two places, I suppose. There's um, the main the main place to to find me and my work, uh, or our work, I should say. You know, we're a community kind of 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 pioneers. We're all shaping the the future of this sort of somatic field together, um, and that's uh, www.thesomaticschool.com. So that's the and then s o m a t i c school.com. Um, that's where you'll find information about the course that we run um at the somatics called the training and also some free webinars that are going to be coming up so keep an eye out for them and a masterclass that we'll be doing soon um and uh and then for my my work you can have a look on www.nathanjblair.com that's for for kind of coaching and and uh and supervision work as well beautiful yeah and uh, my parting my parting question what does everyday joy mean to Nathan J. Blair? Mm. Everyday joy. Now, you know, everyday joy, I think 
means finding the kind of gift in every moment in in every experience from from you know the the warm embrace of a partner to the grief we feel of a of a recently deceased loved one um i believe that there's a kind of a a, a kind of a nourishment and a gift in each of those experiences and um and so it's there's something about can we stay with the experience without kind of going off into the story and uh and can we find the enjoyment in that ah subtle mic drop thank you so much for your time nathan <laughs> thank you so much Tamara. it's been a pleasure thank you for listening to 360 conversations i appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and i i hope you found the episode useful i'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast like an increasing number of our digital experiences the algorithms rule Your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. You can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.